Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Fuma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax and unwind tonight with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy work week flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Like most of my generation, I grew up scared as hell of nuclear Armageddon. Sometimes my father would sit at the edge of my bed and tell me not to worry that nuclear war wouldn't happen precisely because the superpowers had the capacity to blow each other up. The military doctrine of mutual assured destruction. I'm not sure if he believed it or if he was just trying to make me feel better. Roger, copy. This is not an exercise. But I was worried enough that I made sure to watch a made-for-TV movie on ABC called The Day After. It aired right before Thanksgiving in 1983 with limited commercials, so you knew this was a really big deal. It depicted the destruction of Kansas City after a nuclear attack. Roger, understand. Over 300 missiles inbound now. The day after was shockingly graphic for the time. What I remember most, though, isn't the scene of the incineration, a lot of people turning into skeletons, but the scene right before. A character played by Jason Robards is driving on the highway when enemy nuclear weapons detonate overhead. Suddenly, all the cars simply stop running. They go silent. Robards and the other drivers try turning their ignitions, but nothing. In other words, a nuclear bomb would subvert nature on such an elemental molecular level that cars everywhere would just go dead. I have no idea if the science on this checks out, but watching it then, it was so completely unnerving. I was 14 when the movie came out, a few years too old to admit how scared I was. But it's a good bet that most of the record-breaking 100 million Americans who watched that movie were just as afraid. We did watch it as a family, and it was deeply disturbing. I still have images in my head of it just being gray and dark and people staggering through the destroyed wilderness. What we have seen, the missiles launched, the nuclear explosions, the devastating results was all fiction. 
But what brought us to that point is fact. It's something we've been living with for years. It's the arms race. But not everyone was paralyzed by the fear of nuclear war. The previous November, a schoolgirl from Maine, a few years younger than me, decided to do something. She wrote a letter. A letter that asked a simple, eminently sane and sensible question. Somehow Samantha managed to boil things down to the essence. We are all human beings and we shouldn't be looking to annihilate each other. And that letter made big news. And finally tonight, the story of Samantha Smith, a 10-year-old girl from Manchester, Maine. At one of the tensest periods in Cold War history, Samantha Smith ended up going to the Soviet Union. The people that have been to the Soviet Union have a definite answer of them not wanting war at all and wanting peace, just like I do. She was an ordinary girl with an uncommon touch. She was that beam of sunshine that broke through the cold ice of Cold War. Her life may have been short. She had such potential, Mo. She could have done anything. But she left a powerful legacy. In her short 13 years, she did more than a lot of people do in 50. From CBS Sunday Morning and iHeart, I'm Mo Rocca, and this is Mobituaries. This Mobit, Samantha Smith. August 25th, 1985. The death of a peacemaker. At Manchester Elementary School in Manchester, Maine, the story of its most notable alum lives on. So today we're talking about Samantha Smith, who was a student at this school. Teachers like Mrs. O'Brien have been telling Samantha Smith's story for 40 years. So she and her parents traveled to the Soviet Union. And this is a picture of Samantha holding up the letter. She became famous in this shy, really sweet little girl from Manchester, Maine, all of a sudden was being interviewed. Look at all the microphones in front of her. Samantha's story makes an immediate impression on the kids. What is the thing that sort of stands out? Um, probably how she's always smiling. Yeah. Um, that she's always happy. She could, it's basically like she could walk into any room with people that are grouchy and she can cheer them up in a matter of seconds. It's wild to be in this school that she went to. Yeah, and I think that's the great part for the kids is when they're sitting in the classroom and you can say, like, this is where she sat. I mean, so she was just like you. Jessica Dwyer is another one of the teachers telling Samantha's story today. She really knows the subject matter. Jessica and Samantha were students at this school together 40 years ago and close friends. The pictures that I have, the memories that I have, which are fading, I think, because it's been a while. She was always giggling and laughing. That's what I remember. Jessica met Samantha in the third grade when the Smith family first moved to Manchester, a town of about 2,000, just a few miles outside of Augusta, Maine's capital. 
it must have been hard to join as a new kid, but it did not take her long at all to develop lots of friends. Sarah Warren was another classmate and friend of Samantha's. Her mom was a um, Girl Scout troop leader, so we used to have some of our troop meetings at their house. Samantha's mother, Jane Smith, was a social worker for the state of Maine. Samantha was an only child. Samantha was just a very extroverted, bubbly kid. I can remember we were trying to learn how to dance like Michael Jackson. Because that was the era of thriller. So we were in her living room you know, trying to learn how to moonwalk. And Samantha was leading the way. So she was, she was fun. Samantha's father, Arthur Smith, was a college English professor. When Samantha was little, she would sit in on some of his classes, including one he taught about letter writing. At age five, Samantha wrote a letter to the Queen of England and got a postcard response from her lady-in-waiting. Yeah, see, I mean, I wrote to the American presidents, but I don't know that it ever occurred to me to write to leaders of other countries. Oh, Sarah, you needed to think bigger. You needed to go global. (laughs) (laughs) I got there eventually. (laughs) Sarah now works in the Baltimore public school system. Before that, she spent many years doing aid work overseas, including in war zones, partly inspired by what Samantha did back in 1983 when they were just kids. I'm just a few years older than you are. I remember being terrified by the idea of nuclear war. Mm-hmm. Were, you, were you scared? I was terrified. I can remember a period of time in the fourth grade where I woke up every day with a stomach ache, and it was because I was afraid of war. It felt like a real possibility there for, for a period of time. And I remember that especially in the fourth grade, which I guess must have been impressing Samantha too, you know, and been pressing on her mind because um, that was around, you know, the time that she ended up writing the letter. Ah, yes, the letter. We'll get to that. But first, some context. In November of 1982, Soviet leader Leonid Brezhnev died after 18 years in power. Now, as a kid, I remember the Soviet leaders as a succession of crypt keepers, each one more ghoulish than the one who came before. The guy who took over right after Brezhnev was a former head of the KGB spy agency named Yuri Andropov. As ambassador to Budapest in 1956, he oversaw the suppression of the Hungarian Revolution. As head of the KGB for 15 years, he directed the Soviet campaign against the dissident movement. To soften Andropov's image, the Kremlin PR operation, not exactly Madison Avenue, put out that the new leader spoke fluent English and loved American jazz. So relax, everyone. This Soviet leader was a hepcat? It was around this time that Samantha was watching a science program about nuclear war on public TV that scared her much like the day after would later scare me. She couldn't shake that idea that it could all be over tomorrow. Looking for some reassurance, Samantha and her mother Jane together read a November 1982 cover story of Time magazine about Andropov. It didn't make Samantha any less worried. And she told her mother that her mother should write a letter. And Jane, her mom, apparently 
turned around and said, will you write the letter? And I, I do think that her writing the letter as a child was much more powerful than any adult writing a letter. She wrote the following words. Dear Mr. Andropov, my name is Samantha Smith. I am 10 years old. Congratulations on your new job. I have been worrying about Russia and the United States getting into a nuclear war. Are you going to vote to have a war or not? If you aren't, please tell me how you are going to help to not have a war. This question you do not have to answer, but I would like it if you would. Why do you want to conquer the world or at least our country? God made the world for us to share and take care of, not to fight over or have one group of people own it all. Please let's do what he wanted and have everybody be happy too. Samantha Smith, Manchester, Maine, USA. P.S. Please write back. Out of the mouths of babes, right? <laughs> I mean, why do you want to have a war with our country? Um, which is really what adults should be asking each other. You know, I think sometimes adults overcomplicate things and she was getting down to the basics. At the time Samantha wrote her letter, Soviet and American leaders hadn't held a real meeting in five years. The Soviet Union's stockpile of nuclear weapons had surpassed that of the U.S., and neither superpower was backing away from the buildup. The year prior, the doomsday clock, the symbol of how close mankind was to annihilation, stood at four minutes to midnight, perilously close to midnight. While Samantha was waiting for a response, U.S. President Ronald Reagan announced the Strategic Defense Initiative, called Star Wars by the press. The program pledged hundreds of billions of dollars to build a laser-based system to intercept Soviet missiles. The president also delivered his now-famous Evil Empire speech to the National Association of Evangelicals in Orlando. I urge you to beware the temptation of pride, the temptation of blithely uh, declaring yourselves above it all and label both sides equally at fault, to ignore the facts of history and the aggressive impulses of an evil empire, to simply call the arms race a giant misunderstanding and thereby remove yourself from the struggle between right and wrong and good and evil. Weeks later, the Soviet state newspaper Pravda published an article featuring letters written by Westerners concerned about nuclear war. They included Samantha's letter. The next day, back at Manchester Elementary, the school secretary, Mrs. Peabody, called Samantha into the principal's office to take a call from an American reporter. Ten-year-old Samantha Smith of Manchester, Maine, was one of three Americans whose quotes appeared in yesterday's edition of Pravda. She says she wanted to get the complicated story cleared up. I asked some questions about nuclear war because I wasn't... I'm not that sure. It's a little bit hard to understand on the news because they put it in grown-up words. You know, I can't understand what they mean. But what Samantha really couldn't understand, why didn't she receive a response? They published her letter in Pravda, but Andropov couldn't write her back? So she wrote another letter, this time to the Soviet embassy in Washington, D.C., expressing her disappointment. A week later, she got a call from a Soviet official, a heavily accented voice telling her to watch the mail. At first, Samantha thought it might be one of her dad's friends playing a joke. It wasn't. Just a few days later, a special envelope arrived at the small town post office. 
addressed to Samantha and signed by Yuri Andropov. Samantha and her dad read the letter on the way to school. And her dad wouldn't let her bring it to school because she was, he was afraid that she would lose it. Can you picture your parents saying that? You can't take this important letter to school. It just came in the mail at 7 this morning? 7.30. What did you think when you got it? Oh, I was, I was happy. I was happy that he had responded after I'd already complained that he hadn't. And it basically said that he didn't want to rule the world, he didn't want to have a war, that he respected children and he talked about the children in his family. And Dropov compared her to the character of Becky Thatcher in Mark Twain's Tom Sawyer because he wrote she was brave and smart. And he invited her to come and visit the Soviet Union. Samantha, you recall, is the 11-year-old from Maine who wrote Yuri Andropov about her concern over nuclear war. She says she hardly expected a personal invitation to visit the Soviet Union. Now, it remains unclear if Andropov himself actually wrote the letter. And it's impossible to know what the Kremlin's precise aim was here. Inviting an American girl to the otherwise cloistered nation was a dramatic public relations gambit for the newly minted Soviet leader. One possibility, since the struggling Soviet economy couldn't keep up with U.S. defense spending, perhaps Andropov wanted instead to appeal directly to the American people and undercut public support for Reagan's hardline stance against the Soviets. Andropov has been trying hard to shed his bad cop image. He left the KGB six months ago to improve his chances for leadership. It wouldn't have been the first time a Soviet leader tried to use a child to soften his image. In 1936, Joseph Stalin took a photo embracing an adorable seven-year-old indigenous Siberian girl named Gelia. The image became iconic propaganda of the Stalinist era, depicted in countless posters, murals, and sculptures. And no wonder... Little Gallia beams. Stalin looks warm, positively paternal. But only a year after the photo was taken, Gallia's parents were arrested on suspicion of disloyalty, her father executed, and her mother dying in exile. What, did you really expect a happy ending? We're talking Stalin here. Now, a letter from the Soviet leader to an American school kid would have made news no matter what. But it just so happened that Andropov wrote to a kid with a charisma that very soon captivated the media. She's a fifth grader who wrote to and received the now famous letter from Soviet leader Yuri Andropov. Would you welcome 10-year-old Samantha Smith? On The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson introduced Samantha to the world. She was funny. Are you getting tired of answering all the questions that... (laughs) People like myself and the people on the news show are asking you? Yes. Or, or just, you are. I remember her sitting in the chair and her little legs dangling over and swinging because she couldn't reach the floor. And uh, she was just bubbly and cute. She was unaffected. How'd you get the idea to write the letter? Well, nuclear war had been on TV a lot lately. And it got to be so steady on TV, I got scared. It's remarkable how at ease she was. There's nothing kid actor about her. You'd never heard of me before you came on the show? Yes, I have. Well, you had? Yes. Yeah. Did they tell you anything about me? They told me you were a comedian. (laughs) (laughs) 
What immediately comes across is her smile. Whether it was her natural disposition or the product of a happy upbringing, she just had a great natural smile. This is no small thing. I had a terrible smile when I was a kid. Part of it was that I was trying to match the smile of people on toothpaste commercials, a high bar I know. But I was in a song and dance troupe when I was in junior high, and I needed a smile to match the sequence we wore when we performed at White Flint Mall in Rockville, Maryland. Anyway, I'll never forget when one day in rehearsal, I was really pushing my smile, and the British director walked up to me and said, I know what you think it looks like, but it doesn't. It was devastating, because she was right. After that, I stuck with a closed lip smile for the rest of junior high and all of high school. Samantha's smile, on the other hand, was dynamite, as the world could now see. I mean, that was big news in Manchester, Maine. I don't think anything as big in my recollection has happened before or since. (laughs) But classmate Jessica Dwyer says that while she knew Samantha had poked her head into the adult world in a big way, Samantha herself kept things real. The period when Samantha got the reply from her letter, it was kept very separate from us. Yes, they, the media was here, we'd be outside at recess, but Samantha, it wasn't something we talked about because I think she didn't want to stand out in any way. As foreign dropped off's invitation to visit the Soviet Union this summer, Samantha's waiting for a decision by her kitchen cabinet, her mom and dad. Samantha knew she wanted to go. When she asked her father, he said, we'll see. She knew he always said that before saying yes. As she finished up fifth grade, Samantha made plans for her diplomatic visit to the Soviet Union in July 1983. Samantha would later write, Lots of questions came into my head when I looked at pictures of Soviet people. I wondered if I could be friends with Soviet kids. Would they think that I was a spy or that I was afraid of them? Would they think that I wanted to conquer them? She flew with her parents first to Boston, then on to Montreal, where the press attention was already starting to annoy her. Well, Mom told me not to say this because it's not your fault. It's your job. I mean, they're really pestering. (laughs) I ended up biting one of the microphones. (laughs) But the trip was not without risks. Coming up, Samantha's two-week adventure in the Soviet Union. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. 
And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. So th- this is the kind of folk art that she was given? Mm-hmm. People gave all kinds of things. Lots of little dolls, lots of little teddy bears. Uh, there must be 40 teddy bears. Lori Labar is chief curator of history and decorative arts at the Main State Museum in Augusta. She's showing me the gifts that Samantha Smith received on her trip to the Soviet Union in the summer of 1983, including a samovar from the Kremlin. This is beautiful. It's a tea urn, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, the tea goes in there and the water goes in there. And what did these gifts mean? I think they were gifts of friendship. Someone saying, thank you for coming. Welcome to my world. But at the heart of it, Samantha was essentially saying, why can't we be friends? That's exactly what she was saying. That was the whole trip. She spent two weeks saying, why can't we be friends? When they arrived in Moscow, Samantha, who had just turned 11, and her parents, Arthur and Jane, were greeted by guides from the Soviet Friendship Society. They paid for the trip. And Samantha gave a brief press conference for the 30 or so reporters who would follow her on her trip. He promised me that he wouldn't, he wouldn't start a war. Russia wouldn't start a war. And we, America says that they won't start a war either. Then... How can we keep making bombs for a war if there's no one to start it? According to Samantha's mother, the Smiths' Soviet hosts asked the family what they'd like to see, and then proceeded to tell the family what they were going to see. Samantha visited Lenin's tomb. She tried chicken Kiev. She met Valentina Tereshkova, the first female cosmonaut. Not everything went as planned. At one point, the Soviet-made limousine ferrying the Smiths broke down. It was hastily replaced. Now, the U.S. government avoided taking any official position on Samantha's trip, not wanting to co-sign a Soviet propaganda ploy. I think they were very worried because, you know, there could have been an accident. She could have been a tool of the Soviet Union, a A propaganda dupe. Yes, exactly. Before they even left on their trip, the Smith family was flooded with letters, many from relatives of Soviet Jews desperate to leave the country. The family shied away from any particular cause beyond peace, but passed a packet of the letters along. They, too, were worried about Samantha being a propaganda pawn. Once during the trip, a group of students asked Samantha to sign a petition that condemned U.S. foreign policy. But one of her Soviet guides swooped in before she could sign it. When Samantha and her parents visited Red Square, her father Arthur was asked to lay a flower wreath on the tomb of the unknown soldier, a monument to the Soviet World War II dead. Afraid to offend his hosts, he went ahead and did it. 
Fortunately, this was before Twitter. Samantha was already a household name and face across the Soviet Union. As she put it herself, it's a funny feeling to see articles about yourself with pictures in a newspaper you can't read. Most surprising to the Russian readers following her every move, Samantha had been invited to Camp Artek on the Crimean Peninsula. It's a place every Soviet kid dreamed of going. Artek is one place that Soviet leader Yuri Andropov really wanted Samantha to see, to meet and talk with kids her own age, and to see for herself that everyone in the Soviet Union wants peace and friendship. My name is Natalia Rost, and I'm a teacher. It's been a long time since I've sat in a second-grade classroom chair. It's actually been, I guess, uh, 45 years, but... It feels nice. Yes, I'm sitting in a chair made for a second grader. And no, it actually doesn't feel nice. Yeah, and it's the right size for this desk. If the chair's any taller, your knees won't fit. Natalia Rostin now teaches second grade in Los Angeles. But during Samantha's visit, she was a Soviet kid raised in the city then called Leningrad and a camper at Camp Artek. I think you and I are around the same age. What year were you born? 69. As was I, 1969, on January. 1960. Woodstock, baby. What's that? Woodstock, baby. Oh, yeah, I assure you, my parents didn't go to Woodstock. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. Natalia was the daughter of an engineer and an English teacher. She felt lucky to be at Artec, since it was the crown jewel of what were known as pioneer camps. Think Boy Scout or Girl Scout camp, but communist. Was it a pretty big deal when you found out you were going to go? Oh, yeah. It was a pretty big deal to me, and it was a pretty big deal to my friends. We were all ecstatic because it was, it was like winning a lottery. I mean, it was a huge privilege. Natalia was not from the elite. When I got to camp, I found out that there was a group of kids from political elite that were there year after year after year. They, they treated Artec as their regular summer camp. Uh. But most of us, we were from different backgrounds, from all over the Union. And most of the campers that summer had never even met an American. They got the whole part of our Artec camp together at an assembly, and they said, guess what? There's this girl who is a personal guest of our, of our premiere, and she's coming to visit um, Artec. And guess what? We're so lucky because she's going to be guest in our camp. And what did you think? And we, were, we went crazy. We started, like, we started cleaning our door right away. We started like, ironing our uniforms right away. I mean, in Russia, when, they get, when any guest comes, it's a big deal. When a foreign guest comes, it's a triple big deal. And when a personal guest of a premier comes, we, we were just we were in seventh heaven. And the fact that she was American made it even more? Well, yeah, it was a big deal. Because Russian propaganda was saying this, that American people are peace-loving people, but their government is brainwashing them to believe that we're the enemy. Mm-hmm. And so we, we thought that Samantha is going to arrive and she was going to look at us like we were the enemy. And so then your job, as it were, was to... Was to change your mind. Was to, right. And to show who we re- really are. You know, our hospitality and how great the country is. And because 13-year-old Natalia spoke more English than anyone else, she would be Samantha's camp buddy and deliver the welcome speech before thousands of campers. I had to memorize the speech because my English wasn't fluent. Uh, it was very rudimentary. Were you nervous when you delivered it? Oh, yeah. I was petrified. My mouth was dry. I was, yeah. 
especially like, you know, the camp counselors, they were young, but they acted like Russian grandmas. They would like speed polish my forehead and make sure that everything is perfect. Like there was not, there was not a wrinkle. I wouldn't, they wouldn't let me sit. So there would, there would be like a wrinkle on my shirt. My, my ribbons and my, my braids were bigger than my head. I mean, it was, it, it was a huge deal. Because you were essentially, you were the, the lead of the welcome committee here. Well, they, they told me that I was the, the face of the country. <laughs> It was to be a simple welcoming ceremony for Samantha at Artec, a Soviet youth camp. But oftentimes, the world's largest country does simple things in a big way. In this case, 2,000 uniformed young people and the communist youth group known as the Young Pioneers filled every seat of an outdoor theater to sing, clap, and give their American guests a warm hello. Now, at least Natalia spoke some English. Remember, Samantha spoke no Russian. But Natalia says that hardly mattered. I remember that it was so easy, like, it, it, like it's as if we knew each other our whole life. It was so easy to kind of like communicate, even though the language abilities were very limited. Just smiling and trading things and, um, you know, sharing jokes and sharing our opinions about cafeteria food, about the boys in our troop, about bathing suits. I mean, just every, everything was so easy. Although she would only be staying for four days, Samantha asked to wear the pioneer uniform. She was given the uniform with the blue scarf for visitors instead of the red one worn by pioneer members. She also wanted to sleep in the cabin with the other campers. Do you remember when the lights went out? Were you quiet or was there no, giggling? No, we were giggling and whispering and, you know, tiptoeing around the room and our camp counselor going, if I have to walk in there one more time. You're going to have, you know, extra, extra duties tomorrow. All, all of that happened, yep. I, yes, I would be disappointed if there had been no giggling. We were so excited. Everybody was, she was excited. We were excited. I mean, it's... And what was she curious about? Everything. She wanted to know what kind of music we were listening. She wanted to know what kind of books we were reading. She wanted to know what kind of sports we were playing, what kind of dances we danced. You know, everything. She wanted to know everything. Natalia played Italian pop music for Samantha like Toto Cattuno and Samantha played her favorite music of the time for Natalia. I can remember the cars were huge that summer. I'm guessing this was all on cassette tape. Did you talk about politics? Nope. No. Was that sort of understood or you just weren't interested? Once we saw her, we understood that she doesn't think we want war and she doesn't want war, so it was it was unnecessary. It was just it never came up because we, f- we felt that it was ne- not necessary to discuss. On Samantha's second day at Artec, she and other campers rode out into the Black Sea to participate in an Artec tradition. We would write the message with our most sacred wish. And we would seal it in a little glass bottle and toss it overboard. So... Most kids, what do we wish for? You know, end of starvation. We wish for health. We wish for um, bright future, you know, things like that. Samantha wrote on her card, I am for peace in my lifetime. On the boat, they sang a favorite Soviet children's song. May there always be sunshine. May there always be blue sky. May there always be mommy. May there always be me. May There Always Be Sunshine is based on a short poem, a plea for peace by a four-year-old Russian boy. 
The song has been performed all over the world, translated into many languages. The kids here and all the people here are really much like Americans, except for the language. And I didn't have any trouble um, making friends. Images of Samantha smiling and playing in the Black Sea alongside her young pioneer comrades delighted Soviet audiences, but left some viewers in her home country uneasy. A CBS report pointed out activities at Artec Samantha wasn't being shown. These young pioneers are out on a different kind of exercise, learning to patrol the beaches day and night, learning to handle the automatic weapons they carry. As part of their summer session at the exclusive camp, they are trained by a special section of the secret police, the KGB Border Patrol. But for Samantha, there will be no night patrols on lonely beaches. Instead, a festival of clowns and laughing bears at an evening concert where the slogan is peace and friendship. On Samantha's final night at Artec, a big Soviet send-off. I shall miss my new international friends, but we will remain friends across the sea. Let our countries be friends, too. Someday I hope to return. I love you, Artec. Samantha says she has been very impressed by the Soviet Union, although her routine is tiring. The Soviets seem to want to show her everything they can in tightly packed days. There is still no answer to her most important wish while in the Soviet Union, a visit with leader Yuri Andropov. On her last full day in the Soviet Union, Samantha got the news. Andropov was unable to meet her. He said that he was sorry that he couldn't meet with me, and he was just too busy, and he wishes me um, hope for no war and good health. In fact, the Soviet leader was already dying from kidney failure. There had been talk of Samantha meeting Andropov. In retrospect, do you think it's good that that meeting didn't work out? Does it really matter? It might have mattered to the political elite, but to what she wanted to accomplish, I don't think it really mattered whether she met Andropov or not. And what was the goodbye like when you had to say goodbye to Samantha? Well, we thought that she was going to come back. You know, we thought that maybe in a few years they come and visit again. It wasn't, it wasn't like a farewell goodbye. It was goodbye for now, see you later. When Samantha landed back in Maine on July 22, 1983, more than 300 people greeted her at the airport. She walked down a red carpet and rode a limousine back home. On programs like The Phil Donahue Show, Samantha reflected on her peace mission. Obviously, one of the reasons you wrote this letter is you felt a little scared, I think, as you said. Are you less scared? Yeah. Really? I don't think I'm scared anymore at all. Tell me. What do you mean? Why? Well, well, I went to Russia, and the Soviets and me and I got to know each other. And they're just really nice people to me, or at least the people I met. On the other side of the break... The conclusion of Samantha's story. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. 
Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. So kids are pretty much the same everywhere, you think, huh? Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, you didn't get to meet uh, uh, Yuri Andropov, did you? Less than a week after returning from her trip to the Soviet Union, Samantha Smith was back on Johnny Carson. Samantha told Johnny about her new friend Natalia, who back then went by the nickname Natasha. You can think you're going to keep in contact through letters within your friends you met? Oh, we're not... Nowhere close to being definite about this, but I made a really close friend, Natasha, and we might invite her to America sometime. Hey, that would be nice, wouldn't it? It may have been Samantha's second time on The Tonight Show, but she wasn't the least bit jaded. In both instances, there's something so just reassuringly, refreshingly normal, right? Yes. And 11 is such a magical age. That's Lori Labar again from the Maine State Museum. And I don't think it would have been as successful if it had been a teenager. And I think really that what we needed was an 11-year-old to do this. Why? Because she was guileless. She was just what you saw is what you got. She was a cheerful, happy, smart kid. She wasn't a morose 17-year-old listening to the Smiths. Love the Smiths. Mother. But any afterglow in this country from Samantha's trip faded quickly. Just 41 days after her return, a horrific international incident. On September 1st, 1983, the Soviet military shot down a Korean Airlines jetliner that had drifted into Soviet airspace while flying between Anchorage and Seoul. All 269 civilians, including a U.S. congressman, were killed. Whatever goodwill Andropov had engendered in the West vanished. Some anger was directed at the Smiths. Samantha's father, Arthur, conveyed the family's horror at the massacre, but defended the need for peaceful dialogue as more important than ever. In December of 1983, Samantha and her mother were invited to Japan to address an international children's symposium. 
She wasn't in school as much anymore. That's childhood friend Sarah Warren again. She was always off sort of doing another event, which was undoubtedly even more educational than school. I think that the education she was getting was pretty profound for for a child. So, um, yeah, I mean, her life just completely transformed. Most people know me as the girl who went to Russia, but now I'm going to Washington. In 1984, the Disney Channel hired Samantha to interview most of that year's Democratic presidential candidates, including Jesse Jackson, George McGovern, and former Florida Governor Reuben Askew. How do you feel about inviting the Soviets over here to talk about peace? I think that there's no reason that this, that this country and the Soviet Union can't get together and start seeking out more commonality of interest. With all this exposure, perhaps it was inevitable that Hollywood would come calling. Sarah Warren remembers when Samantha began acting, appearing in an episode of the CBS sitcom Charles in Charge. Which we were all very jealous about because we all had a crush on Scott Baio at the time. Soon after, she was cast in Lime Street, a weekly action-adventure series starring actor Robert Wagner. I was very flattered that you asked me to do this, and when it comes to Samantha Smith, I'll do anything. I met Robert Wagner, I grew up watching him on TV's Heart to Heart, near his home in Aspen, Colorado, inside the historic Hotel Jerome. This hotel is a landmark, you know that. I stayed here in 49. Wagner says the producers of Lime Street, Harry Thomason and Linda Bloodworth Thomason, had first seen Samantha on Johnny Carson. Linda had seen her and she thought she was, you know, just so marvelous and had this great quality. And, you know, the camera just drank her in. When I met Samantha, I could see exactly what they were talking about. In the series, Samantha played Elizabeth Culver, the spunky daughter of a jet-setting insurance investigator, played by Wagner. Daddy, do you like the princess? Yes. Are you going to marry her? No. Why not? Because I've already got enough princesses. Now get upstairs and take that with me. (laughs) Some people felt betrayed that the little diplomat had gone Hollywood. Her mother, Jane, told the press at the time that it wouldn't be natural for Samantha to devote her life to Soviet-American relations. After all, she was a kid. Jessica Dwyer remembers when Samantha had just gotten her braces off, right before she left for London, where Lime Street was shooting. She was in the midst of packing and getting things together, and Sam was just making pea soup at the stove. Something that was soft and wasn't, you know, going to hurt her. <laughs> she just had braces yeah, off. Yep. A typical teenager, you know. And is, is that the last time that you saw her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the last time that we saw each other. She left the next day. In August of 1985, Samantha finished filming her fourth episode of Lime Street. On the 25th, she and her father Arthur flew home. Their commuter plane from Boston was on its final approach to Auburn-Lewiston, Maine Airport when it crashed just 200 yards from the airport's runway. All eight people on board perished. 
This morning, 13-year-old Samantha Smith is dead, the victim of a plane crash last night in her native Maine. Just recently, she began work on a new ABC TV series with actor Robert Wagner. You know, Samantha made such an impression upon people. And to be taken like that, it was unbelievable to us. Unbelievable. Unbelievable to young Jessica Dwyer in Maine. It took me a long time to accept it. Um, and I'll share this. I haven't shared it with very many people. I always thought that she and her dad escaped the plane and were in a tree. And that she and her dad were living this great life. And, and I think that was just my way of keeping her memory alive. The news was barely comprehensible to young Natalia in Leningrad. There was a very famous Russian author who said that child's ear does not comprehend the word death. I mean, I knew she died, but I really didn't process the loss. Hundreds of mourners gathered today in Augusta, Maine, at a memorial service for Samantha Smith, the schoolgirl whose plea for peace made her internationally famous. Well, it was difficult to even get into the church because there were so many people there. I just remember being really sad for Jane because she lost her family. The first secretary to the Soviet embassy in Washington was among the mourners and described Samantha in his eulogy as a brilliant beam of sunshine. You should know that millions of mothers and fathers and kids back in Russia, in the Soviet Union, share the pain of this tragic loss. President Reagan, who had avoided mentioning Samantha in public, sent condolences to Samantha's mother, Jane, in Maine, writing that millions of Americans would remember Samantha's smile, her idealism, and her, quote, unaffected sweetness of spirit. Samantha Smith's pioneer uniform, the one she wore at Artec, is still at the Maine State Museum with Lori Labar. When I first walked in and saw it, I gasped. The uniform, it's just so small. Just an 11-year-old girl. It's a reminder this. of just, this was a small girl. This was a little kid. Um, this wasn't an adult. This was just someone who had asked a question. Samantha's death at such an unnaturally young age effectively froze her legacy as that of a child peace activist. Here's Sarah Warren again. As tragic and awful as it was that she died, it, it really did draw more attention to her trip and to what she had done. And many of us then found a way to make meaning somehow of her life and her passing by trying to carry forward what she had started. All right, so what impact did Samantha's improbable life as a child diplomat make? Well, for starters, Jane Smith established the nonprofit Samantha Smith Foundation to promote international understanding through youth exchange trips. One year after Samantha's death, Sarah Warren, along with Jane Smith and a group of classmates from Maine, made their own trip to the Soviet Union. Well, essentially, we were following in the same footsteps of Samantha and her parents, the same trip that they had done. They started to understand what their friend had meant to the rest of the world. 
although she had been getting a lot of media coverage in the U.S., she was just downright famous in the Soviet Union. Everybody there knew who she was. Jessica Dwyer went on that trip, too. Mobs of people just wanted to be near us and around us. Everywhere we went, we were just greeted by so many people that wanted to talk to us, touch us, because we knew Samantha. Samantha was memorialized in Maine. A statue of her holding a dove stands outside the Maine State Museum in Augusta. But in the Soviet Union? Samantha's face appeared on a postage stamp, on murals. Her name graced schools, streets, a flower, a ship, a diamond, an asteroid. Even a mountain was named in her honor. Samantha Smith, even now, she's more popular in Russia than she is here. Why do you think that is? Because maybe for us, she was a symbol of hope, that the relationship could be of friendship between the two countries. And that gets at perhaps her greatest and most ironic legacy. By inviting Samantha to the Soviet Union, Yuri Andropov was hoping to improve the image of his regime in America. But the opposite kind of happened. American University professor Anton Fedyashin, who grew up in the Soviet Union, put it this way. Quote, the fact that Samantha Smith is still remembered in Russia, but is mostly forgotten in the U.S., is testament that Andropov's original idea of projecting an image to the world was reversed by Samantha projecting herself much more successfully onto Soviet society. In other words, Samantha wasn't anyone's dupe. By the way, the Soviets ended up exporting their own version of Samantha. In 1986, 15-year-old Katya Lecheva visited the U.S. on a peace mission. Katya actually met Reagan briefly. But the Soviet Samantha didn't have the original Samantha's curiosity or charisma and quickly fizzled. In 1989, the Samantha Smith Foundation inaugurated its own world peace camp in Poland Spring, Maine. Two years later, Natalia Rostin visited the camp. Was that your first trip to the United States? It was my first trip abroad. First trip abroad. And what did you think of Maine when you saw it? Beautiful. It, it, the nature kind of reminded me a little bit of Russia, but not quite like Russia. Um, lots of like deciduous trees, you know, that greenery, um, beautiful like rolling hills. Is there anything you ate there that you'd never eaten before? Lobster. More than 30 years later, as a second-grade teacher, Natalia includes Samantha in her curriculum. We learn the story, and I always tie it into writing. I tell you, you know, writing is your superpower. You know, you want to change the world, you need to learn how to write. Look at Samantha. You know, she made a huge impact because she could write. She knew, she knew what she wanted to say, and she, says, she stated it clearly. And how do the kids react to the story of Samantha? But they get inspired. They get inspired. They get inspired by that, you know... That kids have, have power. Working on this moped, I've thought about all that Samantha didn't live to see. Just three months after she died, President Reagan and then-Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev met for the first time to discuss nuclear disarmament. Just six years later, the Soviet Union dissolved. I've also wondered what Samantha would be doing today. When I spoke to her childhood friend, Sarah Warren, back in July of 2022, it was just a few days past Samantha's birthday. Samantha would have turned 50 on June 29th, 
and it's sorry <laughs> it's pretty profound to think about what she did all those years ago and I, I I don't know I try not to think about her too much as an adult because I think she did what she needed to as a kid but um I mean what a legacy you know I'm sure had she lived to be 50 she would have been beautiful and she would have been doing <laughs> lots of amazing things in the world but in her you know short 13 years she did more than a lot of people do in 50 so samantha's life was short but the questions she asked in that handwritten letter all those years ago her plea for peace are no less powerful today I hope you enjoyed this Mobituary. May I ask you to please rate and review our podcast? You can also follow Mobituaries on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at Moraka. Hear all new episodes of Mobituaries every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And check out Mobituaries Great Lives Worth Reliving, the New York Times best-selling book now available in paperback and audiobook. It includes plenty of stories not in this podcast. This episode of Mobituaries was produced by Aaron Schrank. Our team of producers also includes Wilco Martinez-Cachero and me, Mo Rocca. It was edited by Maura Walls and engineered by Josh Hahn, with fact-checking by Catherine Newhan. Our production company is Neon Hum Media. Our archival producer, doing his home state of Maine proud, is Jamie Benson. Our theme music is written by Daniel Hart. Indispensable support from Craig Swagler, Dustin Gervais, Alan Pang, Reggie Bazile, and everyone at CBS News Radio. Special thanks to Lena Nelson, Mary Lou Teal, Megan Marcus, Barbara Quill for her reporting on Samantha's 1983 trip, and Alberto Rabina and our deepest appreciation to Jane Smith. The imperturbable Aaron Schrank is our senior producer. Executive producers for Mobituaries include Steve Razies and Moraka. The series is created by yours truly. And as always, thanks to Rand Morrison and John Carp for helping breathe life into Mobituaries. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, 
Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.